Hey everybody, welcome to the Jaunty Mod the Jaunty Mod. Welcome to <laughs> All right, we'll start over. Off to a rip roar and start. Yeah, I told you. I said I'll screw it up right <laughs> away. Okay, we're gonna start over. Ready? Yes. Everybody, welcome to the Jaunty Mantis. This is a podcast about creative questions for curious gamers. I'm one of your hosts, Maddie, and I'm your other host, Jesse. And we're here to talk about role-playing games. I guess Jesse, this is our first episode or a bonus episode. I don't know exactly. We're just kind of trying things out. But you had mentioned that we should probably start with our role-playing game credentials. So why uh, don't you start us out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think as a positive experience for starting, we should get as neck beardy as you possibly can and trying to take a lead on that pretty much. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I got the bug uh, as it was passed down in the elder days. Somebody's older brother uh, had some books and brought them into the fifth grade lunchroom. And I was like, what is this thing? Um, so I think that was like 1989. And that quickly progressed into lying on the floor with the old red box and, um, you know, try playing the solo adventures. And I've been, I've been hooked ever since. Um, so that's a considerable period of time I've spent on this. <laughs> hobby. Yeah. And I started out, um, I don't remember how old I was, but I was really young and my dad came home from a, a trip of some sort work trip. And he came home with uh, second edition. And uh, there was a box set and then there was like the second edition book with the guy on the horse with the sword that looked really upset, you know, and he was like, hey, uh, I saw these two kids playing this game in a hotel lobby and I think we should give it a shot. And he put it in front of my brothers and I, my older brother, two and a half years older than me, my younger brother's five years younger than me. So he was a really, really little kid and we couldn't focus for 10 minutes straight, but we tried. Uh, and then he was like, oh, well, and then put it on a shelf, like all the way at the top of the shelf. Uh, and so as a kid, I would look up at it cause it, you know, I had a great time at least looking at the books and, you know, it was one of those moments where I'm like climbing up on the shelves, grabbing it off the top shelf and then like have my blanket and a flashlight. And for that was basically my first experience with, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and then greater role-playing games after that. But you and I have a shared history going way back into Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games. Yes, uh, in the flower-filled fields, because you lived above a, a florist shop, I think, mm -hmm. that constantly yeah. smelled like the water in that foam they put flowers in. Yeah, yeah. I lived above a flower shop where I'm I'm like 98% sure that the guy who owned the place was actually growing and selling weed out of the basement. Because oh. if you actually went into the flower shop, it was like you would never buy anything in there. So I don't know how he stayed open. Yeah, probably, probably a front. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we met through a mutual friend who was in a college class. Um, and I came over and frightened the bejesus out of your roommates. And uh, mm -hmm. we became best friends in that moment. You frightened so. them by playing a lizard man. And yes. It was a one shot. 
and I could, I could, you know, I could barely get my roommates, uh, and in my existing group, I could barely get them to name their characters, let alone even try to role play. And I was so frustrated. And then with the exception of our mutual friend, and then he showed up with you and, uh, and what would become another mutual friend of ours. Uh, and, and Jesse was like all character, <laughs> like a lizard man looking for ham at this, uh, festival in this town. That well, was that- the setup. That was a throwaway detail because you had, you had mm-hmm. said like uh, they're having a festival uh, dedicated to their like, I don't know, famous ham or some shit. And I was like, cool, a hook, I'm yeah. in. Yeah. So around Jesse the time does. I was standing up shouting, blood, blood, blood. Um, yep. Yeah. And then there was the Mama T-Rex impersonation you did, which I think ended the session because yes. one of the other characters is playing a halfling and he got kidnapped. And Jesse's character went into Mama T-Rex mode and he did this at the table. He announced it just like from the movie. He made the roar and the motion. And I was like wide eyed. My emoji face had big hearts in my eyes at that moment. (laughs) (laughs) It was like we were we were uh, we were like best friends from the get go because I was like, this is how I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. It only took 20 something years. Yes. Yes, I, I, I feel quite the same way. Uh, we are both eternal DMs, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every once in a while, the stars align and we get to play with each other. Right, that's um, true. But yeah, uh, would, do you have any systems that are your primary interest when it comes to the vast uh, field of TTRPGs? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have to give Dungeons & Dragons a shout out by default. You know, it's 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 the world's greatest role playing game for a reason. And uh, although I wish I had a more versatile uh, playground to kind of dip my toes in uh, when it comes to player base, uh, I'll never complain about D&D. Like it's 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 paid off for me again and again and again and created a hobby that I enjoyed or at least popularized it to the point where now it's in TV shows and movies and stuff. So you know, I have to give a shout out to that one first and foremost, but I think my ideal, my ideal rule system, if I'm being honest, is Dungeon World, uh, because I think it plays better to my strengths as a DM. I think I, I have a, a better improvisational aspect of the way that I DM, and I think that allowing me to, you know, uh, empower the players through the roles and through the way the characters are made and how the game progresses, I think is just a better fit for me overall. What about yourself? Yeah, um, I do love like anything powered by the apocalypse. Um, sure. I am, as as Maddie has called me, the king of the impulse buy. So, <laughs> like at some point, if we set up a social media, I will, you know, put up a shelfie just so you can all uh, catch a view of how utterly lacking in impulse control I am, and how my children will never go to university or college because I've spent <laughs> it all on sixty dollars source books. Um, but uh, yeah, I think like obviously D&D is the old, the staple, the standard to go to because people know it and mm-hmm. they have an idea of what to expect. I, I agree with you though. Dungeon World, more narrative play, writer's room. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm uh, a huge, I'm getting, dipping a toe into the OSR, uh, which is not particularly one game. Right. But um, well, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a future episode because it yeah. I feel like it lines up with some of the things that we want out of games. Right. Um, and then to give it, I think we both have to give an honorable mention to Shadowrun for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, rest <laughs> in power, Lil Amsterdam. Um, <laughs> yes. 
I mean, it's the only game I know where you're still having fun while you spend 30 minutes trying to figure out what is the force value of a Mitsubishi Night Sky limousine <laughs> um, driven by a crazed gnome gang member hitting a troll full on right. um, doing about 80. I think we actually found an answer in the end. Like there yeah. was, um, but yeah. And Shadow also run is so batshit crazy. <laughs> In every sense of the word, like not just like not just like the the concept, the book, the character creation process, the rules for chunky salsa, uh, everything that goes into Shadowrun. You're just like, who wrote this game and like why? And then you play it, and you're like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think we know. I think we know who wrote that game, or at least one edition of it. But that. That mm-hmm. story of vengeance is will be one for a little. I don't want to step on anybody's toes if they're still in the industry. So yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So go ahead. Um, yeah, just on, on a side note, uh, they do have a rules light version now called Shadowrun Anarchy, which is wow. why actually, would you play that though? I know you're not gonna get to like uh, have to buy a bucket of dice and I need to spend at least an hour trying to figure out how character creation works. Let alone well, I'll need a at very, least an hour to make the character. It's a very simple priority system with <laughs> A through E, and you just, you know, you, like some races have a higher statistical bonus, so you'd have to put a higher... I can't believe I remember that. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. weird, the muscle memory we have when it comes to role-playing games. Like, that's one of my favorite things about meeting gamers in general is I hate hearing about your characters, but I love <laughs> hearing about your group because we all have this like muscle memory when it comes to the people that we play with where you like you and I, we mentioned little Amsterdam, the gnome ganger uh, in our shadow run game. uh, I just want to shout out for like for little Amsterdam, like for those of you who have played shadow run in the shadow run players guide, there was illustration of the uh, variant meta types. And uh, if, and one of them was a little bandy legged wiry gnome wearing like a world war one German helmet with the big spike on it. And so we put him in as an NPC mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a ganger campaign from that picture and named him Lil Amsterdam. Yep. Um, so and this is what I'm saying is like that muscle memory of that group and, and the people who played in it. It's more than an inside joke. It's more than a meme. It's a, it's like the culture you create with people who you play with uh, over that long of time. So that's definitely, you know, the inspiration behind the Jaunty Mantis as a podcast, like uh, that name being an inside joke between the two of us. And maybe we'll reveal that at some time. But, you know, that really is the inspiration behind what we want to do. And I guess this is just kind of an introduction episode uh, in general. But, you know, we have such great conversations as gamers in our selective groups or with our, you know, our best friends, our significant others, or, or whoever that we're playing with. And I think that that's kind of where we wanted to go with this podcast is Jesse and I have great conversations about role-playing games. And, you know, more than often than not, one of us is like, man, we should have hit record on this somehow yeah. if for no other reason so that we could just come back to it later and play it for, you know, future generations uh, of our combined houses. So, uh, you know, think of that. This isn't like serious commentary. You know, if we do book reviews, which we'll probably do <laughs> next, um, those will probably be uh, bonus episodes or extras. That's not really what this show is about. And if this is kind of an episode zero, then I guess really it is. It comes down to that 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 phrase, creative questions 
for curious gamers. So Jesse, you know, you were the one that kind of coined that. I think we were throwing around ideas for what this show was. And so why don't you, you know, explain like, what does that mean to you? What is creative questions for curious gamers and how does that apply to this podcast? Uh, in, in a sense, like it's just, you know, I mean, there's, there's the questions that everybody asks, like, you know, or not everybody, but a lot of people will ask and you can go directly to Reddit to like, what is the best build for a Druid um, or so on. But um, we just wanted to look at like, it, it all spins out of our conversations we've had over the decades about RPGs. Like what would happen if we did this? Or like, what if we could create a player character class uh, that is, a dimension, like a multi-dimensional entity or something mm. that like summons versions of himself from yeah. another, uh, another dimension, like to fight for him. Mm. And then like, what would be the most mechanically interesting way to make that super weird. And like, I think we had come up on that one, right? like, uh, but not with- just that though. Right. Because then the other part of that was he doesn't just summon other versions of himself from the multiverse, but then there's a there's a screw up mechanic that was included. It which is like um, to to kind of like close in on the power structure is what happens when one of those other multi dimensional use decides it's the main one and you aren't. <laughs> yeah, if you if you had failed a check or something, there was some some consequence where he's like, no, I'm the real one and you serve me, and then you have to fight it out. And then I think we had come up with a little table to put in the character spread of like how <laughs> that version you summoned in is different like this one's made entirely of radiation mm-hmm. <laughs> like so yeah um yeah just like th- those what if questions the hows the whys and not necessarily like you know what is a character optimal character or you know like can there right. even like we might ask can there even be an optimal character like right you know, so um I don't yeah, know I'm, if I have an opinion on that. Now I'm thinking about it. That was a well, terrible question, but I'm well, curious. The reason, the reason why it doesn't work for us though, and, and maybe this is a bad example because it's too inside bo- baseball. And I know I'm about to violate my own rule about how I don't want to hear about your character, but I mean, we all create characters that are broken at some point, you know, I've created a broken character that could, you know, kill everything in the first three rounds by himself before, you know, and, or, or whatever you can min max anything to get whatever result you want but that's not where the fun is for you and me yeah yeah i mean there's definitely points i think in our gaming career where it was mm-hmm. i may or may not in the closet somewhere have the advanced dungeons and dragons second edition character portfolio mm-hmm. that has a whole lot of characters on those green character sheets with a strength of 1800 yep. who are all named <laughs> tannis half elven for some reason i don't i don't know why Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, like I was 13, you know? And so Mm -hmm. like when you stick with it long enough to me, like, I still like to have a powerful character. I I don't like to lose, but like for me, the, the, what makes it interesting and unique, what's the hook to the world, Mm -hmm. um, is, is sort of what I want to go. And so we try to ask questions like, can you use mechanics to build that in if you're not doing uh, necessarily like a, a genre derived powered by the apocalypse or forged in the dark game. Right. That's like built from the ground up to emulate genre. Like, right. We keep trying to hack the thing that's been <laughs> our, uh, you know, lover secret friend for so many years, you mm-hmm. know, but uh, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah. I mean, I think that goes back to what I was saying as far as like, first and foremost, I have to give D and D its propers, but at the same time, like we're, we we're in fifth edition games. We're in a group that primarily plays fifth edition and like with no offense meant towards the people who work on fifth edition, it's like, I couldn't be less interested in anything beyond the player's handbook. I'm barely interested in the player's handbook. Like I don't care about feats. I don't care about uh, sub races, subclasses, features, spells, whatever. Like it's all, it's all so um, it's all become such a part of the gaming DNA that like character creation is my least favorite part mechanically it's in the story of the character and how to make them interesting and then how to use them to advance the story and make people giggle and all that stuff so it's like if somebody's like or what you know we're putting a game together everybody make a character i'm like hey does there anything anybody doesn't want to (laughs) play does anybody want me to play the healer i don't give a shit you know like i'll try to make them interesting uh, in personality and in story, I don't care what his mechanics are. I don't care what his roles are. Maybe we'll save this for a future episode. But he really does that well, listeners at home. Like, <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm just, I, can I tell one story? I'm going to tell one story. Tell whatever you want. Up, we did a West Marches campaign. For those of you who are not familiar with West Marches, it is intended to like let a DM coordinate a very large group of play, uh, players with a sort of hex crawl map where they put hooks out in the world and it's up to the players to coordinate amongst themselves. Say, this is, this is when we want to play. Can you run? We're going after this goal. So we did one of those for a little while and he came up, came up with a warforged bard named pipes who had a (laughs) pipe organ built into his shoulders. And that's like the least of what Matt does when he creates characters. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, it's a pleasure to play with him and to run games with him. So, yeah, and um, it's a it's a pleasure to also uh you know play in your games or the rare moments we get to play together because in those moments like Jesse and I will just feed off of what we are doing. Uh it's like anything's possible and that's the sweet spot for me is is like having that kind of leeway like I say to people who have never played Dungeons and Dragons like if you're if you have a, an ounce of creativity Dungeons and Dragons is for you. You know, you have people who are like, I can't draw. I'm not very creative. And it's like some people be like, just draw a stick figure or whatever the case may be. And D&D is is or role playing games is so much more to that. Like it it really is a way for you to express your creativity in, in a way that I, I think most people don't fully understand. And it's 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 like you don't have to come up with an original idea. You could like I think I heard about that Warforged uh, pipe organ idea from on a, from someone else on another podcast. Uh, and I just put it in his shoulders and then added some other details to it. But that character is mine after that point, right? Yeah. The base concept I might've picked up from, I think it was fear the boot. I think it was somebody was interviewing on that pod. They were interviewing on that podcast, but did like, they say original character do not steal? <laughs> no. They did well not. then <laughs> that's their bad. <laughs> right. Right. But you, there's so many people in this, in this world that I've come across who are like, Oh, I wish I could be more creative. And my first response is like, you should play D and D. Because that'll that'll be a great creative outlet for you. I'm sure there's exceptions, but like off the top of my head, just to continue that thought, I can't think of a single person I've ever seen play their first game that they did it wrong. Right. That that they weren't just great. Like Mm -hmm. people from work who only knew about it from Stranger Things. Like Mm -hmm. and and that not to cast shade on that. Thank goodness for that, because more people should play this game. It brings so much joy. Um 
but like every person I've ever seen play a first game, even when I am the one teaching them has just done amazing. And, and I think that's another thing that goes back to why we we'll probably like D and D is the tropes are so baked in mm-hmm. um, to the sort of pop culture zeitgeist that like, you know, you kind of know what you're getting into, even if you have never seen polyhedral die, you know, right. um, it's just, it's kind of there. Um, yeah. And Jesse, you know, you have such a great strength as a DM and, and a player of creating such a safe environment. And I think like the origin story of our friendship proves that, right? Because, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I was picked on for playing D&D. It wasn't until I found like a solid group and almost every single person in that group was older than me uh, by at least four years, if I'm not mistaken. Like I was really lucky to find a group of older kids that would let me play with them. Um, but like, I mean, I got beat up in high school for trying to explain my freshman year of high school for trying to explain the difference between a hill dwarf and a shield dwarf to a football player who didn't ask what the difference of that was. Right. But like, uh, so there's a, there's a lot of like internal, uh, programmed, uh, restraint as a, as a, as a D and D player. Like I, I wish, never I wish I could have. I wish I could have been there for you in that moment because I would have just <laughs> popped out of the shadows and been like, and then there are gully dwarves as well. Uh, right on. Yeah, I, I had, a, oh, of course, nerd experience, similar thing, getting picked on, but I just got picked on for being me. I never internalized it to being the one thing I did. I was just, you know, a weird, mouthy, wordy kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was nothing I could do to make it better. So I'm just like, I'm just going to lean into all this stuff I like. I was also super goth. And so that, you know, <laughs> yeah. that yeah. helped scare the people at the, you know, rural township school I attended for the first part of high school where I had my roughest face, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my favorite thing, you know, cause it was like, Jesse was a big part of, of helping me uh, be myself uh, to a certain extent, meeting him, uh, you know, in my twenties and being able to see somebody just, uh, unabashedly be who they are and just strike up a conversation with someone and tell them about D and D. And I'm in the background going like this, like, <laughs> like, don't, don't reveal yourself. Uh, and now it's popular and it's mainstream. So like, that's an unthinkable thing, but I really did come into my own as a person because of, uh, because of my best friend here. So I guess the, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that, um, you know, people have said to me in the past that like, why don't you do something more social? And I'd be like, like what? Like go to a bar? Like I like going to a bar. That's fine. But D&D is one of the more role-playing games in general. Is It's a very intimate social experience. It requires trust. It requires a common uh, shared uh, social handshake or contract. Uh, you can't get more social than role-playing games, in my opinion, which is another thing I love about our hobby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that that's my social hour. That's like my outlet outside the house or or in this room when we're playing yeah. online. And I think like that that freedom uh to be yourself, that that love of the game. I think when we talk about curious questions and creative gamers, like that's who we want everyone who listens to this to feel, you know, empowered to be. Right. Um to like, hey, here, here is, as you said earlier, inside baseball talk about these games but like if you love that amazing like mm-hmm. do it yourself as well like right say hey i heard this crazy thing on this podcast called the john T. mantis for improbable <laughs> reasons and uh like what do you think about this you know like mm-hmm. so cool yeah 
So that's the point of our podcast. Um, this is, you know, the origin of our friendship. And I think our next step is to, you know, take on a a topic for, you know, our first episode, our inaugural episode, or maybe like I said, a bonus episode, I'm not sure. But, you know, what we put down as far as our, I guess our banter topic is spell jammed. Uh, you know, we wanted to work around the release of spell jammer and address it. I know I said, I didn't want this podcast to be about book reviews, but in the sense of um, spell jammer being a product that's created a lot of friction um, as far as I've been able to tell, I, I it's the first fifth edition book I've bought outside of the core three. And, I and you were through. a super big fan and really loved everything about it. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy I, to hear about that. So I want, I kind of want to use it as an example of, you know, uh, if we are going to do book reviews, they will be bonus episodes, but I wanted to use it as an example of expectation. And I wanted that to be kind of the creative question for curious gamers of this episode is like, you know, what is this book? Why did it not land the way that people thought it did? And what does that mean overall for fifth edition and Dungeons and Dragons? And I think role-playing games in general, um, and the way that I wanted to get started with this was by looking at the, you know, the, I guess the overall review or blurb about it. I went on to Amazon to look at this and it says, uh, you know, home of the stars and gateway to the heavens, you know. The second paragraph says the collection, this collection contains everything a dungeon master needs to run a campaign set in the starlit starlit realms of wild space and the astral sea as well as new options for players who want to create characters at home in this fantastic setting and then it gives these bullet points on what is in these books and i guess maybe the reason why i'm i'm mentioning that is because when i opened up the because i got it on dnd beyond so when i started reading this book i realized that this was not the product that i was hoping it would be and I initially then was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Did I waste my money? Is this a bad product? I haven't bought anything else for fifth edition beyond the core books. Uh, they're sitting on my bookshelf. Um, but why is Spelljammer not landing the way that it's supposed to? What did people think was inside of it? And is this a good or a bad thing? Uh, okay. so yeah, Jesse, I am. Go ahead. I just... Uh... I wanted to, you were going to ask another question. I was about to jump right in and ask that first kind of probing question. Um, I don't know if it would actually would have been possible for it to land the way that people wanted it to land. Because like, if you look at Spelljammer as a whole, um, like obviously it was when that, when the original came out in second edition, it was, I think during the era when TSR was still the owners of the, of Dungeons and Dragons and, like the joke about them. It was the early days of the internet. The joke about TSR was they sue regularly. So <laughs> yeah. uh, like you put any content from their stuff up, they were going to hit you with a cease and desist and maybe a lawsuit if you persisted. So, um, which, you know, seems perhaps short-sighted mm-hmm. <laughs> at the dawn of the internet, but uh, that's a whole other topic. Um, so it was a box set that took some weird Renaissance ideas about like phlogiston and the matter of space and like put sailing boats in space and um, was widely, I think loved because of how weird it was. 
mm-hmm. but I don't actually know anyone of that era that ever played a game of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had multiple books and box sets because I've always been king of the impulse buy. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, and I, I remember looking through it and the, the cool little cardboard uh, ship chits. That was hard to say. That's a bit of a tongue twister <laughs> there. Um, and I was like, what is this cool mantis ship? Oh, that's the spell jammer. And then I think there was a book about that that basically said, if you go there, it kills you. Like the air, mm-hmm. the air, it is enchanted to make you die. But there's also a city on it. And, and like that was the sort of level of consistency uh, from some really weird books with some really cool art. And then, of course, they were able to publish the space books for Kryn Space and Realm Space and Greyhawk Space and all that. And they were all just sort of weird. Like, this planet is full of blue halflings. Uh, and, you know, like, I, I don't know if they were crib in Star Trek, but mm-hmm. I think people had a lot more of a fondness um, for what they remember about the setting rather than actually playing in the setting of just like mm-hmm. it's wild and wooly and weird. And one thing I would posit about that is that in these days where like half of the OSR is like acid fantasy. Like, mm-hmm. let's make it as Uriah Heap album cover as we possibly can <laughs> in the adventure. Uh, right. The walls are dripping blood that turns to rats when it hits the ground. And that's just <laughs> set dressing for the first room of the dungeon. <laughs> I don't know if it could ever be as weird and wild as it wanted to be because it's not trying to be a science fiction game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then but then it makes that claim. I know you might take, take uh, a little bit of uh, umbrage with um, that uh, it has everything you need to run a game because mm-hmm. so uh, yeah everything to run a game I think that's the part that kind of so I want to be fair about this okay um, my overall reaction to this is like I couldn't have been more excited to get this book um, like I pre-ordered it for D&D Beyond and and I was was really hoping that this book was going to give me some really weird shit to work with and I think that ultimately the problem there is on me, not on them, because that was my personality and my desire for content being put onto a game that um, is successful now where it's struggled in the past because they've refined what D&D is and it is not going to be books or a book of weird shit for me to delve into. It's going to be a, a, a really like basic um, bare bones structure of if you want to try to play in this area, here's how to do it. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like this was a meme that keep, people kept referencing. Um, and then Wizards of the Coast was like, well, we didn't plan to make this book, but can we put something together and put it out there? And it's like, yeah, but it really wouldn't be you know, it really wouldn't be X. And it's like, well, can we make the books as beautiful as possible so that at least we have that? And it's like, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, but those I think books that, that, are stunning. And like the the album that they released mm-hmm. with it, like I, when I saw the day, because I was like, I don't remember hearing any fanfare about that album. Like they're just, we're going to, there's this album out today. And I'm like, what? Uh and I just had this rice my oh, I'm gonna listen to this. And it's a you know, a large company is releasing an album to tie in with a, a mm. game. This will be terrible. 
mm-hmm. then I started listening. And I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's aesthetically as in an aesthetic experience, everything about Spelljammer, I'm sort of in love with right. um, the new one as a play experience, though. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the meat of this topic that I wanted to get at. It's less of a book review and more of like, what are what is our expectations as gamers? You know, because my expectation, like I'm looking at a review on Amazon um, where the reviewer is saying, I was expecting more than six sparse paragraphs for ship to ship combat. I'm not expecting fantasy Starfleet battles, but I was expecting something. And I, I read that and I'm like, you know what? I think I was expecting fantasy Starfleet battles. Like, I feel like they got the core of everything else figured out for the, in the player's handbook. So give me something that is uniquely space or spell jammer to work with. Um, and that that is realistically what I wanted out of that book. I wanted science fiction, sci fantasy shenanigans and phenomenon, example planets and spaces ship to elaborate ship to ship combat rules that you can not only use in here but you can also take to your naval combat part of your game if you want um you know like i just wanted a like a buffet of like really unique stuff that is only spell jammer and i feel like they just gave us like a framework and i i don't think they did anything wrong per se this feels like a weird thing to say about Dungeons and Dragons, but I don't think elaborate rules is what they do anymore. Exactly. And I don't think they do that in 5e, and I don't expect them to start. Um, right. Like, I, I'm running Descent to Avernus, and I will admit that the uh, Infernal Machine rules have more depth mm-hmm. than the ship combat uh, in Spelljammer, which, which, yeah, fair critique. I mean, flying mm-hmm. ships is the whole thing, but I think they have... The elaborate rules are in the basic action economy and how combat works, and they just scaled everything up. Ships have hit points. They have armor classes. They have weapons. One of the things I wanted to look up before we recorded this, just on that weapons note and didn't get time to, is like my view of the ships and their weapons is like it's almost nigh impossible to actually do damage to another ship with a ballista that's mounted on a spell jammer. which seems like, you know, a, a bit of an oversight. Like, why bother? That why? <laughs> yeah. Why have a mangonel on a turret on the deck if you're going to do four hit points to a ship with 430 hit points um, mm-hmm. after piercing armor value or whatever it's called in in five e? Like, it just yeah. But I I wasn't personally looking for elaborate ship to ship combat because. I do remember those cardboard chits and it was a terrible, <laughs> like unworkable <laughs> system. I was really yeah. surprised. They kept like, uh, like air freshness values and gravity planes, which mm-hmm. was one of the cool things I really liked about the old one. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that we definitely have different expectations about five eBooks. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that like, I think if you're disappointed with this book, that's fair play. If you if you think it's a waste of your money, I think that's also fair play. If you have expectations of what this should have been, I think that's where you kind of need to re-examine. If the product didn't deliver to what you were looking for, totally fair for you to be upset about it. I'm not going to try to take that away from anybody. 
But from my personal experience, it's like when they released fifth edition, I was like the default campaign setting for this edition should be Eberron. And then I was like, no, it should be Dragonlance. Like they should, they should, I'm, I'm sick and tired of Forgotten Realms. Like make this interesting for me. And the reason why I wanted that is because I wanted, I wanted that kind of, um, I wanted the themes and the story and the lore of either Dragonlance or Eberron in those essential books. And what that speaks to is that's actually what I'm looking for in a, in a role-playing game. I'm looking for that kind of depth. And that's not what fifth edition is. It's not that you can't find that kind of material in a book here or a, another book there, but it, what D&D has been in, in its fifth edition format has been providing to us is a, a foundational set of rules to play this game, a refined boiled down version that's going to cut out this extra stuff. And it's the most successful version of the game. So obviously that's what's working. And, and I'm not saying it's my fault that I got a product that's not good. What I'm saying is that my expectations were not aligned with what fifth edition is. Does that make any sense? Yeah, but I think, I think too that in a sense of the mechanical aspects of spell jamming, we're, we're mm -hmm. in alignment on that. Right. Um, we might have had different expectations, but the other point to bring up too is like the thing that I'm just kind of like, really is that how to design a space is a box like mm -hmm. it's it's a text box that says look at the two spaces we made in the adventure module mm -hmm. and i'm like so there's there's really no setting other than the rock and brawl which is cool mm -hmm. and just like this is what the astral sea is and it works like this but yeah um there's there's not a lot and so i looked at those spaces to, to prep for this because this was our topic for today and what it has is like this space in a nutshell and then like four paragraphs and then it has a map and a mm -hmm. table with how long it takes to get to the edge of system to that planet because um, you got to track that with the weird mechanics they did actually give you you got to make sure you're ticking days for your oxygen so it you know doesn't get fouled but right how do you do a barrel roll in a Niagi mind spider? You just stole like, they don't tell us how to do that. I guess mm -hmm. probably just a dex check for the spell. Okay. Anyway, um, um, let me, let me pose a question to you then. Like, how would that be done in an apocalypse, uh, you know, run by the apocalypse, powered by the apocalypse system? How would like a, a barrel roll in a ship? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. what's, well, you, you, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with it? You'd ask that question, <laughs> you know, what right. are you trying to accomplish that? And then I might throw around to the table. Um, what are some things that could go wrong if they fail, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, get a writer's room view on it and mm -hmm. people would say it, they would say, okay, that sounds like, you know, defy danger because you're, mm -hmm. yeah, you're defying danger. And then we roll the dice and see what that does to the narrative. And right. But none of think, that is, you know... The, well, there's an expectation because there's so much D&D &D in it. Right. Because it's 5e that there's going to be some kind of check you could make. Right. Um, I but what is... Now, how does that... How would that go then? Let me put this other scenario to them. And how does that go if you... Let's say you need to do a barrel roll <laughs> and you don't have any rules for it and you're running a spell jammer ga uh, game like right now how do you handle that situation right now? You don't have anything else to work with. Dex what do you check. do? Just a dex check. Yeah. Yeah. 
because that's what D&D is. That's what D&D is now. That's what 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons is. And this book represents that. This book is like a message from the people who make this game being like, you are overthinking this. If you're looking for elaborate ship-to-ship combat, you've already overthought what D&D is. And that's what this book is demonstrating to its audience. Now, whether that's the message you want to hear or accept, that's up to you. And if you don't like that message, like I'm on, I'm on your side. Cause I don't like that message. I want, you know, I, I'm reading exploring Eberron uh, by Keith Baker uh, and friends. And, uh, and that's an amazing book. And there's like very little mechanical stuff in it. It's all about like ideas and exploration by Keith Baker into more stuff in Eberron. And I couldn't be more pleased. It's like my favorite. It's like my favorite book right now. I absolutely love it. Yeah, but but that's that's what I expect from Keith Baker. But I think you can also expect that from some 5e books. Like what? Which ones? Uh uh, like the adventure modules, actually, most of them have been doing a great job of that. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm ru- I've been running Descent to Avernus. Uh, for those of you who played, they've just reclaimed the sword. It's been a very long campaign. And there's so much cool uh, information about the setting of, you know, Avernus and, and all that stuff. And um, I haven't got to spend as much time with it as I want, and I haven't run it yet. But uh, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel... Mm-hmm. does a fantastic job of providing setting and people and places and hooks and things mm-hmm. to have in your game. Um, Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft um, like has a whole section on how to make folk horror. There's no mechanics there. It's just like, I don't know, put like a rotting deer head and like a branch statue <laughs> and then like have people collect eyes from lambs because it's gross. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I mean, like all that stuff, like, I think that is not an unreasonable expectation from a 5e book mm-hmm. because that story element minus mechanics is what 5e is. Um, and you didn't get it with Spelljammer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, I read the adventure or most of it for Spelljammer and I, I would agree with you there. I think they give you, a very fleshed out um, area to work with. Um, I guess that if I wanted to split hairs on it, it's like, I'm not going to run the adventures, you know, like this is a topic. This is a whole other show topic is I don't like pre-written adventures. I've run them in the past and I've regretted it a lot. Um, And I love them. (laughs) And this is, this is, I think this is a great future episode is like, Uh, us being on either side of this um but what i do want to call attention to is that the in the actual spell jammer book um for spaces they the whole layout with the astral sea and they're like just just think of it like this there's a pocket of space with as many planets as you want and other stuff if you want to put it there and then it's surrounded by the astral sea. And I kept wondering, I kept thinking to myself, why is it, why is it like that? Like, why are you jumping from pockets of little universes to the next? And the the reason that I came up with is because it's like, this is going to sound bad, but D&D 5e isn't created for me. <laughs> it's not created for somebody who wants to write 
a multi-thousand page Bible about what this space fantasy universe is and all the different planets you could go to. And I'll just do that for myself. Like, even if we never go to any of those planets, you know what I mean? But like, I'll come up with planets and, and write out tons of details for them. And what this book is basically saying is like, Hey, you don't have to do that. Just come up with a pocket and a couple of planets. Don't worry about what the rest of the universe is. And I think there's a level of genius to there to that is what I should say. And I, and I think the miscommunication on this book, or I should say the problem with this book is miscommunication. You know what I mean? I think if they had stylized this as this is, this is um, not the bare bones, but I'm trying to come up with another phrase for it, but this is like, don't overthink this. Here's the here. Like, we know what you need. Here's the, here's a little bit. And if you need to go further, then here are some routes for you to take. I mean, I think they missed out a huge, um, a huge opportunity to create online content for Spelljammer where they could be like, look, we didn't put this stuff in that book because that's not what we wanted you to focus on. You know, think of it like we wanted you to say, this is how you create a little pocket universe. There's the astral sea. If you need examples of planets for pocket universes, we have tons of them online, ready to go, created by our staff members. Oh, they don't need to do that now because of Dungeon Master's Guild. Exactly. Where there are, like I actually just looking at it the other day, like there are, I think, like easily, like the first 20 results came up were Spelljammer or something Mm -hmm. like that. So, And that's, this is making my point for me is I think the biggest problem with this book is it wasn't properly communicated on what exactly it it is and how you're supposed to use it. Because I think if somebody had said to me, like, this is just the simple bare bones of what Spelljammer is just to get you through the door. And if you want more, then the the community will provide. And that's that's a different conversation. Here's a thought experiment. If you were someone that had like maybe run a couple one shots or a couple adventures in 5e and you're like, I'm going to do my campaign and I've heard online about this spell jammer thing. And this sounds wild. This like flying, you know, boats thing. And so I'm going to get this set. What do you think your experience would be like trying to run a campaign where you're, if you're not running the adventure module, what would my experience be? Yeah. It's like a novice dungeon master. I think from a novice perspective, I think this is everything I'm looking for. It's not, mm. it's not too much. It's not overcomplicating it. It's easy to understand. Um, you know, it, I think as a more veteran dungeon master and somebody who's, who's been in this hobby for the a majority of my life, I think that's why this isn't cutting it. And I think it's if like, you, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's like, I don't need your permission to create my own shit mm-hmm. because I've been doing that for a very long time. I need prompts for my ideas to help me think about some other cool shit that I can put, yeah. put into this. And if, yeah. if you were 13, like, you know, the hours of lonely fun pouring over those books <laughs> when we were teenagers, if yeah. you were 13 and like summer break was, had just started, like that'd probably be epic. You'd have a binder full of stuff that would be right. Probably unplayable um, by the end of the summer and ready to go. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think too. For more experienced players, it's or or dungeon masters or game masters, whatever. Like fifth edition isn't made for people like me. It's made for people that want to get into the into the hobby and play some D and D, but aren't going to put in that level of 
and I hate to say level because I'm not doing anything more or less than anybody else. It's like they're not going to put in that level of involvement into it. It's like you cannot scale up. Like I'm old school. Like you and I are both old school. And 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 you can't scale on old school. You have to you have to create a product that appeals to people who were either on the fence or hadn't considered becoming game gamers before. Like third edition is like my favorite version of Dungeons and Dragons out there, but it's like super intimidating. You can't get like I, I've tried to get people, new people into third edition. They're just like, they're like, why haven't we started playing yet? You know, and I'm like, because we're still making characters, you know, yeah, like in the past couple of years, I've done like a, a D20 modern, which is built on third edition 3.5 or whatever. And like, man, has it aged for me as a system? Totally. Um, like, don't get me wrong. Like I, well, we lived together and we had a, a shared <laughs> library of like every 3.5 book at one point. Yeah. Um, so don't get me wrong. I loved having all those additional feats uh, and prestige classes and all that stuff. But, you know, we never used it. We just, I just liked reading it and knowing it was yeah. out there in the world. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's my main takeaway about Spelljammer. I've read that book and I don't know what's out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I think if you're a new DM, I think if this is if you got into D&D because of Stranger Things or whatever. Um and here's the here's the thing is we this this game might be more successful and popular than ever, but it still has the same problems it did before in the sense of there aren't enough dungeon masters. Yeah. You know, and, and the ones that are, I think a lot of the newer crowd are going to like they're just going to love the idea of describing their, you know, tiefling in a poet shirt with it blowing in the wind as they stand on a deck and like then, you know, romance their crewmates. And that's mm-hmm. a totally fine way to play. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, that is not the way I want to play, but like there's nothing at all wrong with that. And if you enjoy that more power to you and I kind of want to try it sometime, I'll be <laughs> honest, but like, <laughs> but that's not the group of people I play with because of our age and our experiences. And, and so I think too, probably our previous experiences with the game in different iterations had prepped us with a set of expectations that mm-hmm. 5e products are probably not gonna right like i i wondered when it first came out i'm uh when 5e first came out i'm like when are we gonna get like a campaign world book mm-hmm. like because it was just adventure modules mm-hmm. uh and then eventually the sword coast adventurer's guide which is not really a campaign setting book the way i traditionally thought of it um right so yeah, I just think very different conscious decision and I'm still buying books, still playing. So I guess, <laughs> I guess it's okay. Yeah. I think that this represents part of the metamorphosis that D and D is going through at the moment, because I think that the people who are making this game are looking at this in a way where they have data that they never had access to before, especially with D and D beyond. And I think that's yeah. why it's been yes. successful. Oh, I'm sure they have a full on like product managers and stuff like running it like, you know, yeah. So as before they had some guys that they would call in mm-hmm. to, you know, paint on canvases. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like there, there are things that, cause you, cause when I told you, when I told our group, cause our group was all psyched to do uh spell jammer and then i had to make this uncomfortable elevator pitch to them where i was like look i know we were all excited to do this but now that i've read the books i don't want to do this and and what i said was um 
that in order to make this happen, I'm going to have to do a lot of extra work. And that's not what I'm looking to do right at this moment. You know what I mean? Like that's not kind of, that's not the kind of extra work that I want to put into running a D and D game. Like I'm looking for something that like Eberron, for instance, which is what I pitched instead, where it's like, I've got books I can just open up, look at, I'm like, cool, I'm going to do this kind of adventure. It's going to start right at the end of the last war day of morning, boom, plugged in. I know exactly what I'm going to do because I've read all these books. That's what I was looking for. You know, like I'm, I'm at a part in my life right now where I'm not going to be pouring over endless documents, writing that Bible for that, that multi thousand page Bible about every planet in the solar system, even though that is my personality. And I guess you could, and, and your reaction to it was, you were like, I thought that's, you know, you were like, I thought this book is what you were looking for, just the bare bones, right? Wasn't, isn't that what you had said? Well, yeah, because you had said, like, I'm not going to do traditional spell jammer. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have, like, like Eberron does. I'm going to have, like, how these subclasses work. And there's this Imperium and, like, you mm-hmm. know, like, warlocks are different. Like, mechanically, they're the same. But here's a little background. And you had a document already with, like, eight or nine of them done, I think. Yeah. Uh, so when a book came out, I was like, it doesn't tell me what to do. I'm like, you told me you weren't going to do what they told you to do anyway. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand the problem. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, cause I was looking for the, I was looking for, I wanted to start that spell jammer game with a, with a huge multi ship to ship opening scene, you know, as much as I don't like the star Wars prequels, even though I think they're better than the sequels. Like I wanted to start with that episode three mass space combat opening and i wanted to really dial in and get them involved in in like this is what spelljammer is like we're fantasy in space you know ships are exploding you know stuff's flying past your head um you know you're you're you got to get off this ship and swing on to another one you're in space if you miss this role like have an npc miss the role and have them floating off just like you know they're gone. You know what I mean? Like that's what, that's like this scale that I wanted to open that game with. And so it's like, I'm looking for the rules. I don't want to have to create the rules. If I'm going to create the stuff, I want it to be the story stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like buying this book made me realize that like, I just kind of want stuff provided for me uh, in a certain sense. And this book is not providing what I wanted from it. And that's not the the fault is in miscommunication, in my opinion. I know it's kind of sounds like a mixed message. You know, like when I get through this part of my life with my job being the way it is and the way life is right now, like I'll probably go back to that document and start, you know, creating stuff for it. But I don't want to have to worry about the mechanical stuff. Yeah, I'm 100% here for that when you do that, by the way. So, and. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure if, you know, listeners, if you have a suggestion for a system that doesn't better, don't tell Matt he wants to play mm-hmm. D&D. Tell me, I'll read it and buy the book and then your favorite designer will get money. So. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let's explore that idea because, you know, it was the group that said, let's run Spelljammer. And I oh, was I like, don't wanna... hell yeah. Like there was a part of me that was like, the only way I'm going to run this game is in another system. Like I started looking for a different system because I think that's also part of this problem is I I've watched YouTubers comment about Spelljammer being such a big disappointment. And I'm sitting there going, dude, at what point 
do you stay in this lane of D&D and not start branching out into other things? Like the system you're looking for, that space combat system or those rules you want or that space fantasy, whatever. I'm sure it's in a different system somewhere. Just go find it. Like, let's not get so pigeonholed into 5e D&D that we're like trying to, you know, the modularity that they invented this version on. I think people are looking, they're looking at it like it's the Holy Grail. Like, I'm I'm just as to blame about this. You know, like I bought the 5e hardcore mode by Runehammer Games, which I highly recommend. It's awesome. It gives you all these great little tweaks you can make to 5e to make it more hardcore and tougher and grittier. But it's like, at the same time, shouldn't I have just gone out and and said, hey, guys, we're going to play Dungeon Crawl Classics. Yeah. Yeah, that's... You finally got there, Matt. You finally got there. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, this is is the thing I've been waiting to happen for Mm -hmm. like literally 10 years. He just got there Mm -hmm. on our first episode. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. This podcast is magic. Mm. There we Um, go. Yeah, like let's not convert it. Let's just find a system that does it. Um, right. But then the other thing is um, to to our online gaming group. Um, I don't want to teach you all to play another game. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this, like a little bit of shade, but a lot of love uh, for sure. Like I, I, we still don't even have five E down, and we ran through Tyranny of Dragons like a whole like level one to 10 campaign. And we still aren't, you know, all mm-hmm. firing on the same cylinders on how that one works. So picking up another one, we did do the, we did do, sorry, this is a weird tangent. We did do the starter set for the age of Sigma Soulbound, mm-hmm. which I thought was fun. I loved it. So I absolutely loved it. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else to say on spell jammed our expectations? And I- you have on your show notes no sci-fi phenomenon, which is not something I was even expecting to look for. So this um, this is kind of a callback to the third edition D and D books, where they had like the desert book and the 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 frost planet book and all that. You know what I mean? And it was like they had rules for desiccation and like like magical windstorms and sun scorched damage of of uh, like the of a magical nature and what an oasis looked like and that's you know did we ever use that i don't think we even ran a game in the desert outside of like trying to run um a modified dark sun I, game yeah i i ran a dark sun campaign yeah but i don't know five but I don't know. Uh, if shout used... out Burnt World of Athis, Athis.org. Y'all did some amazing work and still do. So true story. Uh, but I don't know if we actually use the rules from that that desert and sand book or whatever the hell it was called. Yeah, but... we intended to and then looked at them more like nope. <laughs> the only thing we pulled was the Blessed of Temetnu, which is still the greatest feat ever made. It is. Uh, um... We will both die on this hill back to back, surrounded by the bodies of our slain foes. The best feat mm-hmm. of all time in any edition of Dungeons and Dragons is yes. the Blessed of Tim at New. Look it up. That feat is so awesome that I will have it inscribed on my gravestone when they put me in the ground. We were talking about getting tattoos. I think I know what my next tattoo is. It's going <laughs> to be a big hippo that says Blessed of Tim at New. Yeah, definitely. I'm. Yeah, I, I like this idea. But that's and that that can start generating content for our Instagram when I get the blessed of Tim at New. 
tattoo. I'm 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 in full favor of it. Um, but that's what I meant by no sci-fi phenomenon. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So you know that's. that's but I uh, mean, five E. Like there is, it is, it's in there. It's just the exhaustion mechanic, which we we rarely rarely use. So. Yeah, I think it's. I I could do a whole episode on how that's an underused mechanic that they could they could definitely apply um to different things but again that gets into that same problem of stop trying to hack the game and just play a different game yeah um yeah but anyway yeah all right and again so, for if for anybody out there man we're not saying that D is bad we're just saying that D may not always do everything we want out of our play experience and in hmm. those cases perhaps rather than trying to make D fit Hmm. Uh, you know, if we had an, if we build an audience, this will be the one to go back to that, like, gets me canceled on the internet. It's, oh, I'll, it's, I'll, I'll do you one better. I'll say D and D is bad. Okay. Yeah. It, it's been bad. It's been good. It's, it's, it's been a it's, lot of different things. Like, it's that's been the fun being involved in, in this uh, <laughs> podcast, Matt. But uh, I, I want to be able to be on social media so I can stay angry and. Um, <laughs> It's been bad. It's been good. Like even even fourth edition, which is which has been universally reviled, at least in my own anecdotal experience. There's a lot of great shit in fourth edition. Like, did it did it really like stick the landing? And and, and it was like no. There's a lot of problems with it. I think it. I think it's got a lot of good in it, though. Is it my favorite thing to to talk about? Yeah, if we're complaining about it, sure, but like <laughs> like the nothing nothing in this hobby is 100% good or bad and that's kind of why I wanted to have this spelljammer discussion because it's like it's about, you know, what do we want out of a game? Like that game could be a perfect, it could be good game as far as what you need it for. So, I'll go ahead and say D&D is bad, but I'll also go ahead and say it's really good too. <laughs> Uh, Maddie's opinions do not reflect my opinions. No, um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, yeah, and I can live with it. I'm a reasonable person. <laughs> I'm an unreasonable person. That's my problem. Okay, and on that, let's wrap up this uh, first episode of the Jaunty Mantis. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a website at some point, or social media, or whatever. Whenever we get that act together we're yeah where can to, where can people find you online Matt? no you can't find me online you shouldn't i, I don't want that kind of attention okay how about yourself yeah. jesse um behind hidden doors where it's best not to look here here are only the shrieking of the winds and the howling of the damned or you can also uh hit me up on twitter as i have to look up my twitter address this is how this is how good i am at social Perfect. media um so pad for time while mm-hmm. I look up what my Twitter handle is at Jingoist Fett. Um, there you go. As referenced on Hardy Dice Friends, that was my favorite part when they read your question. Anyway, I, I haven't um, heard that one. Oh, it's a good one. You should go back and listen to it. Anyway, yeah. for our next episode, what I'd like to do is take this conversation even further. And if, if, what this book is saying to me is like, hey, here's the bare bones of what you're working with. Design a space on your own or go find someone who is. That's what our next episode is going to be. We're going to design a space for Spelljammer um, as if we were creating a Spelljammer game. 
Jesse, anything else to add to that? I'm just really excited. This is the other kind of conversation I think that Maddie and I have best is like, what about this? Yeah, what about this? And we just, you know, <laughs> build a Jenga tower of terrible, amazing ideas. And it's a very uh, accurate description of what it is for sure. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, then, uh, you know, this has been the Jaunty Mantis podcast. It's uh, a podcast about creative questions for curious gamers. And if you're a curious gamer with a creative question, send it over to Jesse's social media or maybe our email address if we ever make one or a website or whatever. I don't know. Maybe we won't put this out in the world. Maybe we'll just keep it somewhere private for Jesse's kids to watch when they're adults and so they can laugh at us. I don't know. But until that next time, uh, for Jesse, for Maddie, keep playing those fucking role-playing games i don't know what's a good sign off for that's a great sign off keep keep playing those fucking role-playing games (laughs) do it keep playing them keep playing those fucking role-playing games all right